Welcome to the Landscaping Podcast. My name is Joel Barnett and I'm your host and this is the 20th Instagram Live Q&A that we've done. We'll get stuck into the first question, but before we do that, we've got Simon Buchanan from Land Art Landscapes coming out this week. So that's a pretty cool chat for someone like myself who's a landscape constructor, so I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the first question is from Adam from Avada Gardens. What is one word that describes your design style? I've, I struggled trying to describe my design style in more words than one the other day, so one's going to be more of a struggle. But um, thinking about it, I would say it's accommodating because I don't have one because I do what the client likes. Um, so I'm just sort of working out uh, what that style is going to be. So it's something that's just going to would just develop naturally. I think um, I've got certain colours and materials that I like, like I like greys and using limestone and uh, grey and green and white, that kind of you know, classic type of uh, colour scheme, I guess, um, but no particular style other than maybe a bit more, a bit modern, but what's modern? Uh, next question is from Land Culture AU. What advice would you give a student that is designing a display garden? I reckon that, uh, if you work out your plants early or some key plants, that'd be a good idea because then you can either work out where you can get them from or start growing your own so you can have them looking established before your display garden is is ready to build because uh, sometimes you've got to use a certain nursery or, or you might get plants free from a nursery and they don't have all the plants that you want. So it's worth looking into that early on so that if – if that nursery doesn't supply the plants that you have, you can grow them yourself and, and also making connections with other nurseries as well and suppliers. The more you can uh, borrow or have donated to you from a supplier, the cheaper it's going to be to do. So you can do something that's – you can do a cooler garden, something that's got more impact if you're able to put more money into it, whether that's coming from yourself or from – the supplier uh, during the build or even just the design process i'd uh, document as much as you can just because it sort of adds to the um, marketability being able to market the design later on because they're they only last a short time display garden so you want to be able to um, try and prolong the the time period that you can uh, market off that off that garden and it doesn't have to be straight after the event or in the following months you can do it for for years after so design the design yeah document the design process and um, record that in some way and then certainly when you're building it take as many photos and videos as you can you don't have to have too many they're not enough because you can't take any photos of it once you've pulled it down and i gave that advice before the garden show this year and they didn't take enough photos of mine so um should take my own advice uh, and if they're, and I would also reach out to people who have done uh, display gardens. Like, I don't know if it's Mifkus or if it's another one, like in a, a different um, area, but yeah, reach out to someone who's done one before so then you can get some advice off them um, and, and multiple people as well because everyone's got different experiences of it. Uh, Steve from Endemic Enviro said, What are your thoughts on AI infiltrating landscape design and the repercussions, if any? Uh, just coincidentally, I don't know if it is coincidentally because these things kind of happen 
a bit too often to be coincidental. But after seeing that question, I then I saw I, I just started following a, a North American landscape designer who I have seen around for a while because he's got a ridiculous amount of followers, uh, Danny Wang, and he did a post or an Instagram story about a new uh, AI program where you can talk, you can sort of sketch out the rough area that you want your design done and then put in some descriptions about it and then it'll present a 3D design of what you've put in there. Like it's obviously pretty basic at the moment, um, sort, of, sort of generic looks, but it's certainly something that, yeah, in six months is going to be a heap better. Like that's how fast the technology moves because it's only early-ish in the time of it. So, yeah, it's really very interesting to see. So there would certainly it will put people out of work, but, yeah, there's not too many people delivering milk on a horse and cart either. So there's plenty of, you know, the life life um, evolves and things change. So there's nothing nothing new there. But, uh, but yeah, there's definitely, and people will be able to do their own landscape designs potentially, but using AI. So, um, yeah, no doubt that it will, it will change the way things are done. There's always going to be people wanting to pay for names. So there's people who charge tens of thousands of dollars for a design now, and their design is not necessarily better than someone who's charging $6,000. It's just people are wanting, it's like when you're um, buying name brands, like people who buy Tiffany's jewellery and that sort of stuff compared to other brands. It's not necessarily a better product, but it's part of the experience. So there's always going to be room for people who've got the big name doing designs. Um, and there'll be not even just necessarily a bigger name, but people will, will want to spend their money locally because there'll be people who don't like AI and using a computer for it. But there will definitely be a lot of people um, who will use it for design. So it's exciting to see. Like you're better off embracing it rather than trying to fight against it because like people who uh, didn't like the internet when it started, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, Ashley James Gardens said, I'm really curious to know what your final total was to construct your show garden and have you seen a return on investment for your display? Uh, so it's a it's a tricky one because I reckon I would have spent maybe, I had a guess around 70000 on it, but like I've said a couple of times, a lot of that stuff was for my house that we we're building as well. So um, it'd be at least 30 of it would have been for our house so you could you can pretty much take that off because I wouldn't have spent that if it wasn't going to if I wasn't keeping it um I would have returned those products to the nursery or the supplier so so they'd be looking around could be around 40 and then we got paid I think it was 17 I think or 16 from from IMG so yeah take that out maybe 25 30 grand at the most um but I don't do any advertising and I haven't done for, for years. So you can just lump all that in together as advertising and, a, and an, an amazing experience. And then I'll continue to advertise, like I was saying just before, um, advertise, uh, market that, that show garden in the, in the years to come. Cause when you're looking at the photos, you don't know that it's a show garden, depending on what's in the background. Um, but yeah. Uh, and in terms of return on investment, I've got an immediate, $30,000 worth return investment because it's gone to my house we're in now. 
Although in saying that, there's a lot of it is just sitting at the shed because I can't afford to do the sex. I've got to get a permit for a pergola and that sort of thing, and can't afford to do any of that or build it at the moment. So it's just sitting at the shed waiting. But uh, so that stuff's an inst- instant return. So you can almost write like write that off. But um, in terms of actual work from it, I had a design inquiry straight away, uh, but I was real busy and then forgot about it. And they didn't. They like they wanted to see examples of multiple designs that we've done and i didn't get back to them quick enough and couldn't be bothered so i didn't follow that up um so that's not ideal if you want to get a return on investment but other than that haven't had any anyone mention it who's been inquiring but i've also been knocking back inquiries as soon as they come through for construction work because we're too busy so yeah it's not something i did to get work because we've already got too much work on anyway um but yeah if you're wanting to, like, you could market it a lot better than what I did, Doc. You could be more proactive with people getting their contact details of anyone who's interested in it. But, um, but yeah, that's not the the goal I was chasing for it. Uh, Hayden Oglesby Sculpture said, what are your thoughts on incorporating sculpture into a garden design? No, I absolutely love it. Um, that's, I'm pretty sure we've got, I don't know if we've got one coming up. I certainly designed two into a job in Jan Jack, but that one I don't think is going to go ahead. I haven't heard anything back from that. Um, been watching Josh Hazelwood Engineering. He's building some crazy cage face, bird cage sculpture at the moment. Uh, he does some pretty cool stuff, and we work with Jay from uh, Jay Zakora from Metal Art Design. He does some he does our steel work, but he also does a lot more complex sculptures and pretty cool stuff that he's got at his shed. So, yeah, I love doing it, and it's a very, um, a lot of time, very brave thing to do to put one of them into a design uh, because it's a bit unique and not not the kind of you know standard thing to do. So, yeah, I certainly enjoy seeing that in there. Uh, and I know you have seen some examples of it where it just looks phenomenal. Um, seen some examples when it's just a token gesture and you can it sort of doesn't fit into the design so that's that's kind of the balance you need to do um but yeah i love love doing it love seeing it now, trent douglas six said any tips for landscape tradesmen starting to run jobs uh i reckon organization would be organization and planning would be the key to doing that so uh you might end up doing a bit more you know mental hours on the job so thinking about them more than what you would have when you were just turning up and getting told what to do to a point. Um, but that's, yeah, a good thing. That's just part of the progression for, for starting to run jobs. And then once you do that, you either might want to keep, keep doing it because you enjoy doing that and you'll be getting paid well and not having as much responsibility or you might want to end up going out on your own as well. And then you've had that that experience of doing it in organisation. So that's the key to have a job running smoothly and and then being profitable. So if you're doing that for your employer, you're more likely to get uh, rewarded financially more more so than uh, if you're just working as a normal employee. Um, so yeah, just organize. Just thinking, just basically thinking ahead. So it's stuff that you, I assume you would be doing anyway. Uh, just sort of naturally as you become experienced, just thinking about you know when you need things to arrive, when you need things done by, having a schedule so that you can tick those things off. Having the other uh, guys on site aware of what those things are as well so they've got some sort of idea of what's going on so they can help so you're not the only one thinking of what needs to get done you can have everyone sort of working together to achieve those checklists and the um 
and the goals that you need to tick. Uh, and communication as well. That's the key. So whether that's communication with the employer and, and the, also the people who are working um, underneath you, for lack of a better word. So you sort of got to be the conduit between what your employer is wanting to, the message he's wanting to pass on, and you've got to deliver deliver that to the to the other employees. Um, but yeah, so it might be a, a matter of doing a bit of work when you get home, thinking about things and um, working out what you could do the next day. But that could you could just spend half an hour doing that, and it wouldn't be every night. But it could be every night. But it's just yeah, spending that half an hour, even though you might not get paid for it, is going to make your your day and weeks a lot easier. And then the better you are at it, the the more chance you can get paid more. Uh, local green bean said, "How diverse do you think the landscape industry is, and how can we make it a more inclusive industry?" Uh, it's a pretty tricky question because uh, you sort of only see what is in your own sort of area. Um, so there's certainly more women than there used to be, but still hardly any in terms of the construction side of things. I reckon design, I'd be surprised if it's not about 50-50. Um, just trying to, yeah, just thinking out loud, I think there are, there's a lot of uh, a lot of female design. It could even be more females than males, potentially, in design. Uh, the maintenance side of things, there's, there's certainly more uh, female maintenance compared to construction. But, um, but yeah, but in terms of other diversities, like whether, at, whether that's people born in another country or like you could, the role of being diverse, you could put under, under a million different categories. So, and yeah, it's a tricky, tricky topic to cover because. Like where do you where do you draw the line? Uh, so and and yeah, and I basically can't see stats to show what all these what what classifies as people who are who would classify as being diverse. Um, but in terms of making it a more inclusive industry, I think just people being decent people would would be a good start. Um, it's one of those things that will get better as the as the years go on and the dinosaurs get weeded out and the um neanderthal kind of mindset moves on yeah i think i think it'll get better but i don't know what we could actually proactively do to make it better because you can't you can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink so if you tell people to do something they're either gonna they'll do it if they want to do it and they won't if they don't whether you tell them isn't going to make a difference i think um so yeah no idea what can be done to make it more inclusive because basically there's people who are yeah, decent people who are going to be inclusive anyway. And then there's people who aren't, and that's just life. Brynn from Jones Landscape said, slip-on boots or lace-ups? I am a slip-on boot guy, uh, especially when you're going into a client's house. You just got yes, kick them off, and you can put them straight back on if you try and get out of there quickly. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've never had lace-up boots. It's not because I can't tie my shoelaces, I can, but just the convenience of slip-ons. Even even not just my work boots, my, I've got other shoes, and as often as I can, I'll get uh, slip-on ones. Just saving time, just being efficient. Uh, Dan Foreman from Dan Scrapes said, would you ever do the block again? I wouldn't have thought so, no. I've, uh, I've done uh, a bit too much of the marketing type of work that I, I call marketing. 
and that certainly fits into that category. And like most things, I would never say never, but um, but no. Look, all I need to do is go and look at the bank account. Think, no, shouldn't do that. Won't do that. Certainly won't be doing it this year. And yeah, can't see myself doing it again. So actually, yeah, looking to be profitable. And if I can spend the next twelve months being profitable, I'm then not not I'm then not going to want to change doing that. I'll, it'll probably be a good thing. Um, and if it's in the construction side of things, I want I can't do the construction forever. So really got to capitalize on that while I can. So yeah, I'd never say never, but extremely unlikely that I would ever do the block again. And if I did it, it was being myself, I would never do it with employees again. I can guarantee that. Um, and that is just because I want to pay my employees, so it's not financially viable to do it for for what you get paid. Uh, two Cubs Camping said, what plate compactor, brick saw, and laser level do you use or would recommend? So the can't remember what plate compactor we use, but I've got one. I, I bought one, like a second-hand one, off one of my former employees. Recently gave me a great deal for it, and he'd named it uh, Whack Betty. So that was that was a pretty good name for a whacker. Uh, it's not a whacker brand. That's that's uh, like a Bobcat. It's just, just a skid steer, but Bobcat is the brand. But a lot of people call a skid steer a Bobcat. So it's just good marketing, like a Stanley knife. It's a utility knife, much like a, um, a whacker is. They're not all Wacker brand. But yeah, no idea what mine is, but I've never spent a lot on them. Never, certainly never had a Cromlins one, which seems to be the top of the top of the line. Um, but it's all, I've never had any issues from subs- subsiding soil or crushed rock or anything after using the the cheaper ones that I've had. Like I'm certainly not going you know, a full bore or bottom as cheap as you can possibly get, but I haven't spent four thousand dollars on one that i've seen so i don't think you need to go too crazy on them uh, it depends what you're doing but the stuff that we're doing you don't need to uh the brick saw uh the, like the um instagram reels i just posted i've had them on display i've been using two at a time so i've got one is a milano that's all i can think of yeah i can't remember the number it might be a 1500 model which is like a a um that's for cutting long pavers that's like that's a table saw, um, and that's that's not that great, but it does a job. Like it's been working pretty well on on the pavers I've been using it for, but it um it's a bit finicky and doesn't sometimes it doesn't cut very straight. But well, I think the paver can move. But so I've got you'll have sort of have to clamp it down, which is a bit annoying. But I've had a piece of timber there that has been sitting against so that's held it in place. And they're also big pavers, so they're heavy, so they're not as easy to move. Um, but the one, the other brick saw, the little one, which is a BT brick saw, I'm pretty sure that came to me in part of the the deal, the package of when I bought the business off my boss. I'm pretty sure we had that, we got that new when I was an employee. So that brick saw would be at least 16 years old, and has never, I've never had to get it fixed or never done any maintenance on it. I haven't done a thing to it, and it's it's still going as good today as it did the first day. So. Yeah, and I've heard a lot about BT brick saws how, how good they are, um, and we've never had a single thick, single problem with it at all. Like we don't use a huge amount, but um, but I've used it enough. Like we cut like this, like these pavers were cut uh, like fourteen hundred, 
um, little one. So, yeah, that's just in the last little little while. And, yeah, so it's, used, it's been used a fair while, but it's not like it's used weekly or anything. But, yeah, if I was going to buy a new brick saw and that was that size was suitable because it's only small, so you can only cut, uh, I don't think you can cut 600 mil pavers in one go. You've got to turn around. You can cut 500s. Um, but, yeah, I'd get a BT brick saw. Now, the laser level, same as the Wacker. The ones we use, uh, the spot-on brand, which I think they're, they're um, Geelong-based, so they've got a factory where you just go there and get one of them. Uh, and same, the other first, the first one I had, I had for, like the first laser I had, I only just got rid of it, and I had that since I started, so I've had that for probably 14 years, and then just had to get a new one, and the new one I bought was 550 bucks, I think. And yeah, never had any issues with either of them. Never, had, I've never got them recalibrated, and never had any issues with the um the when we put a spirit level on the bubble going the wrong way because of the laser level. Like the work we do doesn't isn't that critical that you get a laser to the yeah point zero of a millimeter. They're not that. That's not the work we do isn't that critical in terms of uh, getting the right heights. So. Yeah, you don't need to spend again. You don't need to spend thousands of dollars on a laser either. Depending on what you do, I can't think of a, an example where it is that critical in landscape. If you're doing a um, infinity edge pool or a water feature or something like that, that's obviously pretty important. But I don't know what they would use to make that perfect either. Whether it's a laser level or whether they use the old school tube with water in it, which I've seen them use for pool tiling. Um, because when you've got the laser, there's, a, and depending on how far forward you lean the staff or how, well, there's, there's sometimes they've got on a receiver, they've got the bubble inside the circle, but there's no way of knowing if it's exactly in the right spot within the bubble. So even if you do it, you use an expensive one, there's still a little bit of room for error in that. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't go too crazy on the on the laser level. And last question is from Carla at Our House. If you could go anywhere in the world to learn a new landscape skill set, where would you go? Uh, my first thought was the Maldives, purely just for their landscaping skill set. There's nothing to do with the the country itself. Um, but I would probably go to England and hang out at the Chelsea Flower Show and because uh, I remember talking to Jason Hodges one day and he was talking about the, his experience there and they, and said that there's a lot of people there who use who still use the old-fashioned way of doing things. Like they'll, they won't use, I don't know if they still do this, but they wouldn't use a circular saw to cut timber. They would use a handsaw. And if they wanted to cut miters, they'd have a miter block to cut with it. So it'd be pretty cool to see um, some older ways of doing things. And, and it'd be fascinating just to see landscaping in a different country because uh, it's so different. One of the things I was thinking about when I was talking with Simon Buchanan, who's this week's episode, because he was talking about doing the, he did the World Skills competition and went to Japan to compete for Australia. And then I was, I was thinking about how interesting it would be, like how different it would be for all the different countries, because everyone does things differently. So I was just wondering how they decide what uh, methods they use for the, for the World School competition. Um, but yeah, I reckon yeah, England would be where I'll go. Um, 
Yeah, I've seen a fair bit of how they do things in North America. Uh, a lot more flexible paving options they do over there. So I'm not as interested in that. Um, and there's a lot more yeah, artificial grass in in the areas where they do seem to do more of the rigid paving. But uh, yes, yeah, so I reckon England would be the go if if not the Maldives. I've never seen the landscaping skills or examples in the Maldives, so I'd probably have to check that out first to see what it's like there and then maybe pop over to England as well. But uh, that was the last question, so thank you very much for everyone who submitted one. And there, as I've said, Simon Buchanan from Land Art Landscapes is out this week, and I'll put up the question box again during the week for another Instagram Live next Sunday at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. And we'll see you then.